Ion 2020, episode 63. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, it's Ray Eaton, your host of Eye on 2020, your place for the news and the related events. With regards to this 2020 election that we are fast approaching, I appreciate you coming out today and listening. I really do. I appreciate all of my listeners and those that are, you know, tuning in for the first time. I appreciate you listening as well. And please go ahead and subscribe to the show so uh, you could hear it in your podcast catcher the next time I post an episode, which I do that Monday through Friday, five days a week, scouring through the news, trying to find all that good information for you uh, so that you can have the right information to make some decisions for the 2020 election, as well as post some great memes for the 2020 elections. And if you want to follow me on uh, on the on my website, iontheempire.com, and there you'll find some news articles and so forth. You can take those news articles and share them with your friends. You can share them with your family, uh, people, because you know I'm posting lots of good information there with regards to the 2020 election, as well as the foreign policy, domestic policy, things that are going on in Washington, D.C., all that good stuff. Uh, that's iontheempire.com, and I'm also at iontheempire, and that's the uh, Twitter handle that I have as well. So go ahead and do that. And uh, lately I've been, you know, now that I've got this website going and stuff, it's iontheempire.com. I've had a couple people contact me, and they're yelling at me for, you know, this isn't an empire, this is a demo- democracy, or this is a, a constitutional republic, and will never be an empire and everything else. And the reason why used eye on the empire is more tongue-in-cheek than anything else because um i don't think rome when it first got going like you know back in ancient times you have rome when it was just you know roman citizens and yeah you know they conquered italy and so forth but as that empire grew i don't think they really knew it was an empire until you know way down the road right and uh the people probably didn't as well. And I just think that, you know, I put it, I put eye on the empire because I just want to keep an eye on the politicians, those in Washington, D.C., those that are sending our troops abroad and things like that, because I do love this country. I love where I live. And uh, I love, I, I mean, I, I love everything about what we have in this country as well. And, I, and I'd hope to be able to protect that. And I think that the foreign policy specifically is something that is a challenge to me, and I think that that's something that's going to bring down this country big time if they keep trying to expand abroad. And we've done nothing but expand abroad in the last two decades since uh, 9-11. And even before that, you know, we have troops in Japan after World War II. Um, the U.S. empire really kind of started stabilizing itself and not taking over countries per se, but putting major influence in these countries through having military bases, through foreign intervention, through, um, you know, paying the dictators who are in power, things like that, right? So those are things that are very empire-ish, you would say. And a lot of, you know, hardcore libertarians refer to this United States as an empire right now. And I definitely think that if it's not in control and we don't start controlling this world, 
or not controlling this world, but controlling the growth of this, uh, you know, this country on the outside, outside of its borders. If we don't start as citizens trying to take and hold these politicians accountable for the actions that are going on outside of the country, I, I fear that we would become an empire. And that's my biggest fear, because, I mean, you, we, we already have a navy that controls the seas. We have an army and a military that controls pretty much any place in the world right now and can control any place in the world right now. Um, and then you have, you know, little skirmishes going on as well as a war in Afghanistan, Th- things still going on in Syria and in Iraq, things going on in Libya. If a, if a, you know, a dictator doesn't do what we say, we put them on a kill list, essentially. We put them, you know, Maduro over in Venezuela, like he is not doing what America says to do. So now all of a sudden they're talking about invasion. So in my mind, I think that we are fast approaching that empire. And that's why I, that's why I call it eye on the empire, because I want to make sure that we don't get to that point. Right. And if we're already not at that point, I, I don't, I don't want to get to that point that this is an empire that rules by dictate throughout the world. And in some ways I think that we do already as a country. And my, my goal is just to, you know, call things out as I see them and to hopefully educate everybody out there and help to lead you in the right, you know, lead you in directions that are going to help you to make better decisions going forward with who you're going to elect because of the things that the current bureaucracy is doing, the things that the current elected officials are doing, the things that the two-party system is, those things that they're leading us towards. Um, I want to give you all the education that I can in order to help you to see that as well. So if you think I, if you think that I'm just being rude by saying I am the empire, I, I, you know, I apologize, but I don't because th- all I'm trying to do is make it a, make people see in some way that we do live in an, you know, an empire and in, you know, 500 years, a thousand years when America it's probably going to be long gone at that point, right? And if, if it does survive, that's great. But America, you know, if history says anything, most empires fall and most countries fall at some point, right? There was no England, you know, 2,000 years ago. 1,000 years ago, there was very basically, you know, England in a sense, but it wasn't really what we would call England today, right? Uh, France, the same thing. You had a fallen, you know, 1,000 years ago as a fallen Roman Empire, and everyone was picking up the pieces from that. And so things, over time, things are going to change. And if America is still around, then that's great. But in a thousand years, will they be calling this an empire? I can only imagine that they would because of the way that America has gone and taken a lot of control over the monetary policy of the world, over a lot of the countries in the world, um, not necessarily calling them America, but having a lot of political control and political influence within those countries through paying the dictators and so forth. So uh, that's why I'm calling an eye on the empire. And, you know, if, if you're a liberal or Republican or somebody else listening, um, that's, that's the main reason why I named the website eye on the empire. If you're a libertarian, um, you know, you might understand a little bit more. I'm not sure there's different spectrums of libertarians and so forth, but I just want to make sure that everyone, you know, has some sort of awareness that, you know, we are on that road towards empire and that we need to, as people, stop that because that is not a good place for this country to be. Um, 
you know, that I don't think the framers of the Constitution, I don't think the people that started this country thought that that was what we would end up doing. I didn't think that they would think that. I didn't think that they envisioned a federal government that had so much power as it did. I think the framers of the Constitution and those that started the United States and, you know, seceded from England, I think that their vision was to have, you know, 13 independent colonies, independent states that controlled their own destiny and they had a coalition, a formation, you know, they formed a coalition for their common defense as well as, you know, trade amongst those 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 colonies, but I don't think that they envisioned a highly centrally centralized federal government. And some did and some didn't, but I don't I mean I don't think even the people that envisioned a very strong central government envisioned what our federal government is today, which is a federal government that has foreign forces or forces in foreign countries all over the world, that has a navy that controls the seas, that has a government that is taxing its or a federal government that is taxing its, its citizens to the rate that it is now. Um I just don't think they would envision the world that we have. Even a federal government that is in charge of, you know, a department of education. I don't think they envisioned that either. I think they envisioned a local government that dealt with most of the issues. And then you had a federal government that provided for the common defense and those things that you see in the Constitution. But over time, politicians and the courts have allowed a lot of these things to go on through different interpretations of the Constitution. For example, one of the things that they interpreted in the Constitution was the um, clause within it that says that the interstate commerce clause, right? So in one of the, it, you know, in one of, in parts of the Constitution, it talks about that the federal government can regulate things that deal with inter, interstate commerce. And from there, they've even gotten to the point that says, and this is crazy if this is the first time I'm hearing this, um, but Tom Woods had talked about it one time. They even ruled, I think in the late 1940s, or maybe it was the late 1930s, but that a farmer growing food on his own farm, right? So he's growing, let's say he's growing some squash on his own farm for his consumption and his family's consumption. That is disrupting interstate commerce because that is food that did not go into the market and was not being sold in the market. So by doing that, he is raising the price of food. Is that crazy? I think that most people would agree with me that that is absolutely insane that the federal government can regulate a farmer growing uh, corn or any food on his own farm for his own consumption because it disrupts interstate commerce, but that's what they said, and that was a ruling that came down from the courts. So the government is always going to side on its, you know, for its own benefit, and it's always going to continue to grow and take over more and more and more of our freedoms and take over more of the economy and pass more and more laws and regulations on us in the name of our safety and our security, right? But that is not what the framers envisioned of this country. I just, I, everything that I read about what they say, what they were saying back when they were having, when they, when they formed this country during the article, under the Articles of Confederation, and then even during the Constitutional Convention, you know, the arguments that were going on back and forth between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, 
I don't think any of them envisioned a, a government that we have today, but we have it, right? And Lysander Spooner said it, you know, I think it was 60, 70 years later after the Constitution was written and, you know, given to this country and became the law of the land. He said something to the effect of, and I, I wish I could quote him exactly, but I can't because uh, I'm not good with exact quotes. But Lysander Spooner said something to the effect that either the Constitution allows us to have the government that we have or is too weak to keep us for, or too weak to restrain us from having this government, right? So, in other words, he's saying that our constitution that we have allows for the government that we have today, or it's so weak that people have been able to get around it so that we do have a government that we have today, right? But either way, he says it's, a, it's flawed because of that. And for those that love the constitution, all that stuff, um, it just depends upon how you interpret it, right? So if you're somebody, most conservative people, they're very strict constitutionalists. They tend to be looking at it from a standpoint of what were the fr- what was the framers' original intent, right? A lot of conservative people feel that way. But then a lot of liberals, they will feel that it's a living document, that it needs to be interpreted as it is today. You know, in in the situations that we have today, they would say we need to interpret it from the lives that we live now, and that's it. So that's why you have the two sides always fighting back and forth on whether something's constitutional or not. And I don't know if you hear that in Congress that much anymore, whether it's constitutional or not. But a lot of people try to bring it up every so often. But I just don't think that the framers had that intent. Um, but anyway... Let's move on from that point, and let's jump into something different, okay? Today, I decided that I was going to go ahead and throw a few, or one advertisement into my episodes per day, right? And the only reason why is because there's a monetization piece on the apps that I'm using to develop this, you know, develop this, uh, this podcast, so I just figured I would use it and see how it works, um, I, you know, not getting rich by any means, and I, I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Let me know, though, if you'd like, uh, go on to Twitter, I on the Empire, and let me know what you think about that, and where would be the best place in your mind for me to place those ads as well. Um, it's just gonna be one. Um, I'm not trying to get rich by any means, and I'm not gonna get rich off this thing. I just think that, you know, it's something that I was just gonna use as a tool, and, uh, see if, see how it helps, right? Um, a lot of app podcasters do it. You see even Tom Woods doing it. Jason Stapleton does it. The Lions Alerty do it as well. And a lot of these guys have multiple, um, multiple, you know, advertisements in theirs. And Tom Woods has gotten to the point where he doesn't advertise anybody else's stuff, really. Uh, to be honest with you, he just advertises his own stuff, which that is super strong. That guy is a genius when it comes to uh, monetizing his message, which you know, we should all be, we should all look into what he has, and he has tons of free ebooks on this stuff, all you gotta do is look him up, uh, if you go to tomwoods.com, you'll be able to find this guy, I mean, he is amazing when it comes to monetizing his message, uh, and he has a very libertarian message, he's, uh, you know, he does interviews and so forth, but he's managed to come up with lots of products that he's able to help people, uh, like, for myself, exactly, like, I went to tomwoods.com, and went to his, uh, his place to where he's going to be able to host. It was basically Bluehost is a, you know, a company that he 
uses and he directs people towards. And if you sign up through Tom Woods' link on his website and then you develop and you put together a uh, website and you let him know about it, he'll actually mention your name and your website's name on his show. And he has like, you know, I don't know about hundreds of thousands of listeners, but I think he has well over 50,000 listeners. So, um, Anyway, that's why I did it, so I just figured I'd bring that out to you guys today and let you know that's why you might have heard an advertisement on the last couple shows if you've been listening. So, But I appreciate you continuing to listen to the show as well, and, um, and you know, I'll keep on doing this Monday through Friday for you. Uh, something on the Sunday shows, I always like to bring that up on Monday because I, I keep an eye on some of these Sunday shows, and I'll tell you a little bit about some of the ones that I've seen, but um, the main one that they had was Bernie Sanders on uh that was on CBS Face the Nations. And one of the things that he says, and I, you know, I just wanted to bring that up as my main point of this episode today um, with regards to the election stuff, is that Bernie Sanders, you know, first they started questioning him about uh, Joe Biden. And we all know we've heard this and, you know, Joe Biden, I guess he gave somebody too big of a hug and gave her a kiss on the back of her head or something like that. Uh, and she was offended by it back in 2012 or 2009 or whenever it was, right? And uh, now he's an old school guy giving someone a hug and maybe like kissing her on the side of the head. Like, oh yeah, he does such a good job, kid. You know, that, that's the way he is. Um, she felt offended by it and now that's coming out. I'm not sure if that's, I mean, obviously you shouldn't be doing anything that's outside, out. you know, that's, too flirtatious or if you're a politician you'd be right on your message uh you know and and watching out for yourself at all times because people are gonna you know these little skeletons are gonna come out so the whole message that they were asking about bernie sanders at that point is what do you think is this going to help you out or help him out or should he get into this and bernie sanders is the one that's going to benefit the most from a joe biden not getting into the uh you know deciding not to run because Joe Biden's beating Bernie Sanders, but no one else is, right? So only Bernie Sanders is going to benefit from that because uh, he has name recognition now. So Bernie Sanders just kind of sides up that question. He says, yeah, I don't have any reason why I wouldn't believe the lady. And uh, Joe Biden needs to make a decision for himself on whether he's going to run or not. I think that this might actually keep Joe Biden from running. I'm not sure, though. Uh, it depends on how far it goes. It is the left eating itself, though, when it comes to this Me Too movement uh, because everyone wants – I mean – Everyone, if you do anything that's slightly inappropriate uh, in your past, somebody's going to bring it up, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later. I mean, even, you know, 30 years later. I mean, this Joe Biden's been in politics for so long. So, but that's the big news of the weekend, pretty much, is that Joe Biden uh, basically did something that was inappropriate. So one of maybe someone that was working for him gave her a kiss on the head. Um, I don't... I think that if that's the worst thing that he did, uh, I don't think that's going to hurt him too much in his chances to win the election. But I did post something, and it's like the you know how I, you know how they say uh, those betting sites are the best predictor of who's going to win the election, right? So you have the betting sites, and when someone's putting their money on a particular candidate, they give odds. They give like forty-one odds um, and so forth. Well, it did show that Joe Biden went from. I mean, it was for the Demo for getting the Democratic nomination. He went from at the highest point, you know, where he was going to get the nomination. The odds were the highest for him, down to like nine percent, you know, nine percent chance that he's going to get the nomination. So 
that's pretty, you know, bad for him. But it's good for the Bernie Sanders. It's good for Kamala Harris. Uh, it's good for some of these other candidates that are more towards the middle that might get some of those Joe Biden votes if he decides not to run because of this. But it still had Donald Trump with a 40% chance winning um, the election where everyone else was much lower than that, I think. So uh, I guess I guess the next thing you'd have to do is say, what's the chances from head-to-head standpoints? And I didn't see anything on that on these betting sites. But that's interesting to know, and I'll keep you guys informed on Joe Biden as we go forward. Um, Bernie Sanders, though, let's focus in on that interview, right? I'm watching the interview, and they said uh, regarding health care, uh, they started talking about that, and then he is for a Medicare for All plan and so forth. But then they started asking about prescription drugs. And they said, well, wh-, he said, I'm going to lower prescription drug prices by 50%. And he says, he says um, record this, cut it into segment, and bring it up after I become elected in 2020, uh, that I said that I'm going to cut f- prescription prices by 50%. And the lady that was interviewing him said, well, how are you going to do that? And he kind of sidesteps the question, but but he didn't. But the way that he answered it is very telling. And it tells how, just how much of a statist he is. And it tells just how much he's willing to use the government um, as a boot of force on anybody. Now, I'm not a water carrier for pharmaceutical companies by any means. Um, but I do think that the rules that they're playing in right now, they've kind of perfected them in order to make profits, obviously, right? But they are playing in a certain amount of rule. They're, they're playing by rules that the government has set for them. And one of those rules is that they get patent protection, I think it's for uh, 20 years after they file for a patent on a particular drug. So whenever they're putting their research and development uh, money into these drugs, they're going to take some of their profits. So one of the things that Bernie Sanders has said is that the drug companies made 50, he said, 50 billion in profits. That's my worst Bernie Sanders accent. I, I apologize. That's my terrible interpret. You know, I, I have a very hard time doing accents and impersonating people. So I apologize. But he says they have $50 billion in profits. And these CEOs are making exorbitant salaries and they're making such huge profits on these drugs. They're charging, you know, 50% more than they are in these other countries. He says, well, we're going to take an average from Canada, France, Germany, England, and Italy and put an average together from those countries. And that's what these these, uh, drug companies are going to be allowed to charge. And uh, so essentially he's saying that he is going to put price controls on the drugs. Uh, And we all know that price controls on drugs from an economic standpoint, that leads to shortages. And the reason why is, let's just break it down as easy as possible for you to understand. If a farmer is raising, if a farmer is um, raising apples, let's say, right? And the government comes in, and says to the grocer, hey, you're only allowed to sell these apples for $2. And then the farmer says, well, I sell them to, or they say, well, the farmer sells them to me for, you know, $1.95. 
and you're telling me I can only sell them for two dollars, then they're gonna have less incentive to buy more apples from from the farmers because they're not able to sell them for a profit. So they're gonna change what they're doing. They're probably not gonna provide apples anymore. So then the government comes in and says, you know what? If you're not gonna buy apples from the farmers for two dollars, then we're gonna make it so the far then we're gonna put price controls on the farmers that they can only charge you a dollar fifty. So then the grocer says, okay, great. I'll buy all the apples I can from these farmers now because I can make 50 cents per apple uh, when I sell them for two bucks. But then the farmer says, well, you know what? It cost me $1.75 to, to uh, or talk, let's, you know, let's, yeah, it cost me $1.75 in order to make one apple. Uh, so he says, I'm just not going to grow apples anymore. I think I'll just grow oranges then. So then we're all left with no apples, we're left with a shortage of apples and so forth. And the government comes in and says, well, you're not allowed to do that. Or, or you know, they're going to say, well, you know what, if it costs you that much to make an apple, then we're going to go ahead and put price controls on the fertilizer and everything else to try to lower your cost of making apples, right? And then they say, okay, great. So then they're like, okay, now it only cost me a dollar to make an apple. But then the but now they can't buy fertilizer and so forth. So it's just a it spirals out of control. And that's what price controls do. So if you do that with the drug companies, you're going to have similar situations where they're going to say, you know what? We're not willing to produce more drugs than we're not willing to do research and development into new medications or new opportunities, new disease states and things like that. Um, they might say, you know what? Instead of producing our drugs here in the United States, we're going to go overseas and do it. We're going to, or they might, I mean, there's going to be so many decisions that these drug companies would make if you cut the ability for them to charge what they're charging now. Now they are charging exorbitant prices on a lot of these drugs, let's say, right? But a lot of these countries overseas, they do already have price controls in place and America does not have the price controls in place. So the companies are able to make a little bit more money because of that, right? Uh, here in America, charging insurance and so forth. Um, but Bernie Sanders, he gets into it and says, well, the CEOs, they're making $50 billion in profits every single year. They're, char- they're paying their CEOs and their you know, vice presidents and so forth, so much money and everything else. And then he says something that's very telling, and I want that's just the whole point of what I'm talking about, is he said that we'll have to look at their patents then. We'll have to look at their patent protections then. And the person that was interviewing did not challenge him whatsoever on that. But if you look at it, the reason why a drug company spends the money that they do, they'll spend upwards of a billion dollars just to get one drug to market. It'll take them, you know, they say on average it takes like 12 years for a drug to come to market. So why would they spend 12 years investing money to bring a new drug, a new therapy to market if they can't get make money off of it for the next eight years after that? You're going to have less drugs coming to market because of that. And that's the rules that these guys are playing by, right? They're making a ton of money off of it. Yes, that's, you know, that's definitely, you know, indisputable. They're making a ton of money off these drugs. But they are bringing drugs to market that do help people out as well. Cancer patients, there's, you know, we're not, we don't have a cure by any means right now, but there's treatments out, you know, treatments that are coming out right now that are just, you know, light years beyond 
what we were, you know, what we were 20 years ago. There's just these great treatments that are out right now for cancer and those things. If that, if that research and development money dries up, you know, how many people does that kill at that point? And it will not be on the politicians' shoulders if they did this and people start and people continue to die because that's a f- situation of the things that are seen versus the things that are not seen with laws. The, the, the FDA, for example, takes 12 years to approve a drug. If it only took them six years to approve, approve that drug, then the next six years it saved lives, Right? Let's say it saved a hundred lives per year because somebody was on that particular drug. Then that's six hundred lives that were saved. But if you say if it takes twelve years, that's six hundred lives that were not saved that died because you don't have that drug, right? So that, but that's the thing that's not seen when they pass these different legislations. And that if Bernie Sanders was able to get this situation to come through, where he was able to cut the drug prices by 50% by regulating the drug companies, by telling them they don't have patent protection, by stealing the patents from them, and allowing things to go generic and so forth. If he did that, then you're going to have these companies that are less willing to invest in that research and development, and then you're going to have less drugs and less life-saving things happening. Now, we all know, as libertarians, that pot cures everything, right? So... um, but let's let's get into the real world for a minute and realize that yeah there are actually good medications out there that do save lives and pot's not the cure for cancer but if you th- i mean it might be i don't know i just i i haven't there's been no real studies that are done on that but if they can do some studies on that and and come to some conclusions that it does then i'll believe it right um but for now you do need these drug companies to be able to make some money in order to you know, get these drugs on the market. So um, I just think when he said that, the main point that I want to get across to you is that he is willing to use the blunt force of the federal government in his own knowledge and his intuition of how things should be and change the entire industry, which is not going to be beneficial to the people in the United States. So, but he's a single parent guy. He's a socialist. He thinks that uh, the world that we have right now essentially is great and that we should just kind of stop and help everyone out and, you know, so forth, not have innovation anymore because in the socialist economy, there's not a lot of innovation going on and so forth. Um, I just think that, you know, that interview was very telling. He is a brute force kind of guy, used the, use the boot of the government to make things happen. That's what he wants to do. So anyway... Um, Moving on, I appreciate all of you listening today. I really do. Uh, keep on coming back on Monday through Friday. I'll be out here, you know, recording these shows and, and letting you guys know what's going on with this 2020 election. This is I on 2020. And just so you all know, middle of the month in April, uh, I'm going to be going on a cruise with my family. We're going to be outside the country. We're going to have a very hard time. Um, I'm going to have a very hard time downloading these episodes and recording the episodes at that point. But I think what I'm going to do is put together four, maybe five episodes that week and just release them on Sunday or maybe Saturday right before we leave um, and see because I've just heard that on these ships that the internet is very spotty. So what I'll try to do is uh, record some shows ahead of time and just release those. And those will be general shows about uh, maybe a particular 
news event or somebody's uh, ideas for the economy. Uh, I don't know. I haven't figured out how I'm going to approach this yet, but that's just what I want to let you guys know is that, you know, that particular week, you might see some episodes that just come out all in one day. And that's just because, you know, I'll be uh, on that cruise ship. But if I can, I'll try to release them Monday through Friday uh, that week as well. And we shall see. I might have a good quality internet connection where I can do that, or I might not. I'm not sure. So, uh, but anyway, I appreciate you coming out. Go ahead and hit me up on iontheempire.com uh, or I on the Empire. That's the Twitter handle that I have. And give me a five-star rating and review if you can. And then make sure you subscribe to the show. This is Ion2020, your place for uh, all of the news and related events with this 2020 election. Come back tomorrow for clear vision on the 2020 election.